Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of, um, I don't know what I'm going to call it this week, uh, Get the Bag. Get the Bag. Get the Bag. bag. Yes. Um, So we've got, well, not two special guests, but we've got someone back from America, finally. Spiritual Baddies back in the building. Yes, I'm back, back on England soil, bitches. We thank God. Um, unfortunately, this week, Kashmir's not with us. Now we've lost her. She's out getting her life in Dubai. Um, so, yes, you enjoy, sis. <laughs> uh, but we are joined, in fact, by another special guest for this, uh, this month's Black History Month. And it is none other than Kush Jumbo. What's good, Kush Jumbo? <laughs> What's good? I'm here. Hey, where, hey whereabouts are you? Sitting in my baby's bedroom in New York, Brooklyn, New York. Yes, Brooklyn. Yeah, we're in Brooklyn, but okay, yes. if you can say that. <laughs> we just, I just saw her baby, so cute, so adorable, wearing this hat that was knitted by your mum, you said, right? It was, yeah. My dad's my dad's a Nigerian Rasta. Yes, uh, Night Jack. Yeah. My mum's, my mum's from Yorkshire and kind of the whitest, blondest, blue-eyed woman you've ever seen in your life. She delights in knitting all the grandkids red, gold, and green woolly hats. Please. So, um, I love that. Please. <laughs> Mix to a T. And he went pride, yeah. Wicked. Well, let's get right into the show. And as you know, Kush, we always start the show with a word of the week, we like to inspire people, pick us back up, keep us motivated. So, what was your word for the week uh, this week for us, Kush? word but I'm gonna have to go with a phrase that um my current that is still my current agent gave to me when I first joined him and I still tell myself every day when I'm going into work filming yeah. which is you keep your artistic currency high and currency will follow yes um, okay that just gave me a little bit of a goosebump that did I know I know there's a few more words than one word oh yeah always yeah a word is just like church when you get the word from the pastor he might not right. just say one thing he might go on for like three hours but you get the Basically. word you gave us a word kush 
And whenever it's kind of like your things are getting to me like that, I can always hear myself in my head being like, keep it high, keep it high, keep it high. Because if you focus on the things you're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. everything else every, everything else aligns, especially financially. Yeah. So when you're getting, when it's all getting you down and getting a bit on top of you and you're like, how am I going to get to, how am I going to get to that next bit? How am I going to pay those bills? How am I going to... No, this pay- has been us. Literally, Basically. we're like, wow, okay, all this money's going in and when is it going to come out? But I I completely right? hear right? you. Like, you got to keep the... Yeah, your artistic, your creative, your 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 product essentially, whether it's acting, singing, or whatever you're doing, keep that that standard of it just as high, and not to focus on the money because that's not why we're doing it. Essentially, of course, we want to pay our bills, but of course we do. We <laughs> of all course, want to pay our bills. That's important too, dude. I don't want to eat beans forever. Right. But, <laughs> I think that it is hard in this because I think, as you guys know, it's ex- expensive to emerge like it's expensive yes. to begin it's actually <laughs> way more expensive than when you when you make it a little bit like I was saying to my husband the other day I said you know I haven't bought a dress for an event for like three years no but way when, but when I was poor I had to buy everything right <laughs> so it kind of turns itself around but I think yeah back back in the days when I really was struggling with how I was going to make the next bit of rent I would think maybe I should just take that like regular on Holby City or maybe yeah. I should kind of, because it's tempting because you just you, you it's exhausting this yeah. this stuff is exhausting but I think focusing on yeah focusing on what the future is going to be like if you focus on the work make the work good make the work the best it can be make Amen. good decisions the money will come it will come when I say that you literally have really like we record every Monday this comes out on Wednesday so everyone else gets the week of the, the word of the week like slightly later than everyone else but for me like that has started my Monday off good like thank you so mm-hmm. much for that like I I relate to that and I know that our listeners will because we've got lots of people that are creatives that listen to the show and you know it is hard and it is it's difficult like you said to emerge when you're first starting it is it's so it's expensive like and you've you know you've got if you do focus like you said Kush on like your product on your creativity on your integrity with your creative uh passions then it it, it will fall into place it doesn't mean it's going to be easy or quick but you're a testimony to the hustle and keeping your uh, maintaining that integrity because i mean our girl from london south london am i correct south london yeah, Come on, Lewisham. <laughs> is now, you know, in her lovely apartment in New York, you know, just serving the world with amazing performances on The Good Wife and The Good Fight. Like, Thanks, Nice things. Nice things. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's amazing. And it's a, and it's a, it's a big, it seems on paper to be like a big shooting star leap to make. But for me, it's definitely been a gradual mm-hmm. and, and it still is every day I'm I'm still I mean not to quote the song but every day I'm still like I'm hustling every yes day. Mm-hmm. yes because mm-hmm. because as you know especially when you're a creative of color you can't trust the fact that this just means now you're now you're set like okay yeah now the work's going to come rolling and now you're always going to be okay you've always got to be thinking of mm-hmm. the next thing and of the next way you can be more in control of your creative narrative so that in the future you don't have to be relying on whether people are going to give you yeah opportunity you know you've got to make the stuff for yourself so amen it 
but it's definitely been 15 years of a of a a gradual um journey, journey. for me I'm not someone who kind of like just shot to, to stardom in yeah. some way I shot anywhere <laughs> <laughs> you have in comparison it's, to us girl you really have that view from your apartment <laughs> yeah okay I don't I can see well I ain't gonna tell you what I can see <laughs> out my window but it's definitely not something pretty uh, as pretty as uh Liberty or you know nice parks in New York but <laughs> your goals you are goals Kush it's coming it's coming it's you just and and I think um and I wouldn't have believed it if you said to me 10 years ago you know 50 I left drama school now 15 years ago or even when I was back at the Brit school you know if you said to me oh this is what you'll be doing you know you, your son will be born in, in Brooklyn and this is what you'll be doing I'm I wouldn't have had I wouldn't have been able to understand how mm-hmm. I was going to get yeah but strangely I think I have always had a belief in myself that that I was I did have a lot to offer creatively yeah. like I been able to piece it together and say oh it'll be this show it'll yeah. be this time that producer but I kind of knew I think you do know in your soul yeah. whether you have you know you have stuff to give like yeah. you have give and you have the ability you just need the right things to kind of um line up what was I reading something the other day about weirdly about President Trump but it was about mm-hmm. how you know how people are always saying to us oh creative you know it's all about it's all about luck isn't it well it's a hard job isn't it because it's all mm. about luck and actually luck isn't a thing luck is where being really prepared meets opportunity how many words are you going to give us we asked for one and you're giving <laughs> us all of the words <laughs> um, you know so and so by being you know by you working on your stuff consistently even mm-hmm. when you're like this isn't going anywhere this isn't going anywhere that that one time that you bump into that like for me it was you know, running into a fantastic director when I'd written a piece that I couldn't get on anywhere, but she really, really liked me and she got me in the door and then it all kind of rolled in together. But it was having that piece ready to go. Yeah. Made that luck happen. And so, um, yeah, these things are, yeah, they are a bit out of our control, but there are parts of it that are in our control. Mm -hmm. Oh, burn of it. And that's why I, you know, I think you, um, it's, it's not always, I'm not always a fan of people sitting around moaning about why things aren't happening for them. Yeah. That's just, yeah. You know, we all get down sometimes. It is, it is, it's a super hard business and we all have like those, those low days, but you just, mm-hmm. you, you got to keep hustling. You got to keep. Making- it's like you know, the we- amount of time you're speaking about it. You could be acting about it. How you about me, Like do something about it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Well, with that being said, and that word being nicely delivered and better yet understood, let's uh, find out how everyone's weeks was. Let's start with you, uh, spiritual baddie. How's your week been? My week was great. I mean, it's been tiring because I fucking changed time zones. How many times this week? Because I feel like you're just changing time zones every minute. For two whole months, I was in like different time zones in America. And now I came all the way to the UK. My flight was like 10 hours. I didn't sleep one wink. And then <laughs> when I got here, I w- wasn't able to sleep like longer than four hours at any point of the day. So I was mad tired for a few days, but I'm uh, great to be back with my friends. And it's great to be back in London. I'm yes. happy. 
So, Rum yeah. is good for sleep, or maybe the occasional. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that helps. <laughs> I had some. I had something. It's like um, it's called a petamine. It's like this African oh, I saw herb that on your Instagram thing. Story. What yeah, was that? it was amazing. It's it's to help you sleep and eat, basically. What is it called? But it helped me sleep. A petamine. A petamine. It was amazing. Why did why? Sleep on the plane. I can't. It's so hard for me to sleep like in public like that. Like it, my body doesn't let <laughs> oh me. I could be mad tired. Trust me. Uh, there's been times when I've been hungover going from city to city or somewhere, and I literally can't sleep. Like on the coach, on the train, on a plane, yeah. my body just won't let me. So I sit there like my eyes are streaming with water because they want to be closed. But, but you can. I just unless can't. I'm with someone that I really, really trust, like either a family member or like a, a partner that I can like lay my shoulder on and know mm-hmm. they're going to be awake and watch me then i can if i'm traveling alone which is what i generally do nowadays mm-hmm. i'm awake yeah and uh, one time i fell asleep on a night bus in um croydon oh and... croydon <laughs> did you have your phone at the end <laughs> no, no i had my phone but guess what i didn't have one of my trainers are you joking oh my <laughs> no. croydon one of is my jumanji TNs, one of my tns was gone oh my gosh <laughs> so I, I didn't used to be able to sleep on planes either and then um and then the show like put you in me first class for the first time. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> yeah! I know you were. So you slept. Obviously, good. I wasn't. Obviously, I wasn't paying for it. I was like, yeah. Oh my god, I can't. Like, I don't. I can't sleep. I can't sleep on planes, dude. I slept. I bet yes. you did. Nice. So good. <laughs> oh, that's what it be about, oh. right? How was your week, Kush? Um, it's been good. I also have been jet lagged. Mm-hmm. Because I did, um, we shoot the show here October to April. So cool. usually during the summer, I go back to London and do a play. But this summer, i just given birth, like two, you know. A beautiful. A Thank you. It's yeah. a little mat. So um, I went back to England to show him to my family, like kind of um, have a whole kind of Lion King ceremony. I <laughs> do now, I'm not even joking. My dad, he loves that stuff. He loves to pour Guinness over babies' heads and like chant <laughs> about yes. bless them and do a whole thing. So um Come on, culture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went back for the summer and that was really nice. Um, but we just got back this week and the baby is completely jet lagged. So Aww. yeah, he thinks he's confused, bless him. And I can I'm confused. Because he probably doesn't realise what a plane like does. <laughs> he probably thinks he's just getting in the car, <laughs> like a really big car. Yeah. He <laughs> does it and, and uh, I think the poor kid like he didn't stand a chance he got like you know we I got pregnant I he was conceived in a dressing room at the National Theatre between oh! night and night <laughs> you heard oh! it here first <laughs> uh, okay and then I, I was, <laughs> yes and then I was not on purpose it just happened that way Okay. And then the whole time I was pregnant, I was filming. So he hasn't really stood a chance in terms of he's in in this business from the beginning. From the and get-go. And then been flown around from the get-go. Yeah. So I feel bad for him. I'm just like, him. Like, I yourself. love that. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> I've been kind of, you know, you got to get your, your head back in the game to go back mm-hmm. to filming. I start to like, um, I start to read and watch certain things to get my accent back because when I've had a few months off, I have to kind of get back into it yeah. and stuff like that and hit the gym a little bit and stuff like that. Can I just say your body looks fucking amazing. Like you had this baby, like this whole, like you pushed out a whole human being and you look like I did. Like I did push him out, Miles. I and you him. did push him out. Yes. And you look great. 
Like, what, congrats. You Thank look amazing. You. I'm not even going to pretend or make anybody. I think it's really important to be honest mm-hmm. about um, how hard that is because most people in straightforward jobs, unlike ours, mm-hmm. could spend probably the next two years gradually getting back into shape. Yeah, we take time. <laughs> I, we had, I had four months because when I get work if they say this scene's in your underwear then this scene's in your underwear then how's it gonna be yeah it needs to be right so i think for your for yourself and and i don't when i say that i don't mean the show puts absolutely no pressure on me to do anything Mm -hmm. at all but it's about feeling good about yourself Mm -hmm. so um and that that is hard like hitting the gym three or four weeks after you've had a baby and being in there every day that was really for sure but it's just part of what you know it's part of what we do it's another challenge yeah Absolutely. Well, how was your week, Miles? Um, this week was good. I wasn't on. I was on stage. I think I was on stage once. I'm a swing in my shirt. I think I was on stage once, which was fun. Otherwise, you know, it was it was a topsy turvy week because uh, obviously in my industry, uh, you get contracts and those contracts come to an end and they don't just get renewed like that. So um, I've had some news that I'm probably this is going to be my last year at the minute. It might not. It might change, but it's going to be my last year in my show currently uh so that was like oh this is really good you know i've been doing this show for like two years what's next but it did then maybe go oh shit like i won't be earning money mm-hmm. so like i need to start saving a bit more and i need to start working on other things and like make sure I get the belts doing good so like we can i've got that to fall back on but yeah it's been a um a really uh what's that word when you think a lot a p- p- pence is it pensive a pensive week is that a word i don't know that word Maybe I'm making it up. I'm making yeah. that word up, Kush. No, I think yeah, you you're. I, I know what word you're thinking of, but I can't think of it. Yeah, myself. well, that word. It's that, been that word it's been that. Really <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, it's been exciting. It's definitely. I went through this whole shock of oh my god, what am I going to do? This path is coming to an end. But after like conversations, not just with friends, but with myself and understanding again what it is that I've got and what that I have got to give and that the possibilities are endless. So it's made me excited about the future, about the future. Sorry. So yeah, I'm auditioning again and just, mm-hmm. just, yeah, I'm excited about the future. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Let's start off the show with, um, a segment, which we call melanin magnificence. Would you want to explain what that is? Spiritual body. Yes. Cause so basically we give melanin magnificence to somebody who is of melanin, who is doing movements for themselves in society, but something that we can, you know, shout out basically. So, yes. So now this person is a mixture of somebody in our industry, but also someone that's not particularly well known. Okay. Um, uh, so there is an actress called mm-hmm. Jenny Jules, um, who, if you're in our business and you work a lot in the theatre, you would know um, better. But she is a uh, black female actress mm-hmm. who kind of in her middle years. And I have been going to watch her at the theatre pretty much since I was about 15 or 16 years oh, old wow. because she was one of the first um, black actresses that I ever saw on stage playing big classical roles. Yeah. Either Shakespeare or in American plays. Okay. And 
Currently, she lives between America and the UK. Okay. So she's busy and booked. (laughs) She's busy and booked, but she's definitely what I would call, you know, she's a jobbing actor. Like most, the, the bigger percentage of us, even those of us, as you know, Miles, in continuing work, are people yeah. who, their, their names may never be known mm-hmm. by people. Yeah. But they're people who consistently are holding casts together, consistently contributing. Yeah. What she's currently doing is a really interesting project um, called Sweat for a playwright called Lynn Nottage. Okay. Who also wrote Intimate Apparel and Fabulation. Oh. And the project they're doing, it started at the Public Theatre in New York, but they're currently on a tour of the Rust Belt cities of the US. So all these kind of small towns and cities where there was big industry at one point okay. and now completely dried up. Right. Mm. So they're kind of towns and cities where they don't, you know, concerts don't tour there, theatres don't tour there. Yeah, it's deprived like, of, of art. It's really of, of art and she made the decision rather than take a movie or take a tv or take a big show on broadway she decided to go on this tour and hit all these cities and take a show that's about union workers to the people in these cities and yeah. um i was reading an article about it in the washington post and i just i just wanted to shout her out because i think as well as you know um looking after ourselves and kind of creatively pushing boards for ourselves it's also really brilliant to remind yourself of why it is that you do do. and she's out there like making art and taking art to the people that really need it which is what the point of this all is actually yeah Yeah. as well pay you know paying our bills as well Mm. so i think that she deserves a shout out as someone that's just continuing to like make good work for herself but Mm -hmm. also take the work to other people so jenny Shout out Jenny Jules. Yes. Who does your Melanin Magnificence go to, Spiritual Body? My Melanin Magnificence this week goes to a woman called G. Walker. She runs the Anthony Walker Foundation charity. And that is a charity that promotes um, racial harmony through education, arts and sports, etc. Yeah. It's based in Liverpool. Um, Liverpool are doing yeah, bitch, basically you know, the, like... the foundation, it's a legacy of her son who was called Anthony Walker after he was murdered killed, in 2005, yeah. um, racially motivated attack. So I just wanted to give Melanie Magnificence to G. Walker because she has done so much... F- um, regarding hate crime, regarding equality, regarding racial injustice, like all over the UK since 2005. And, you know, the pain that she obviously experienced, yet she turned that pain into something, how she could better society. So, Melanie Magnificence goes to G. Walker. She's Melanie Magnificence every second of the day. (laughs) Yes. My Melanin Magnificence, I need to show you this picture, um, goes to a little baby boy and... He's a little baby by the name of Jeremiah. He is currently Primark's brand new model and he is representat- he's representing the beauty of darker skin. Look at this little baby. Oh, Kush, oh, oh my see. gosh. How is Let me yes, see. Primark? They better. So, oh. he is. <laughs> he Look is at him. right? Primark better. Primark so better. that is Jeremiah. We'll post him on our socials. He Please. comes from Wakanda, aka he is from Nigerian and Ghanaian descent. Um, and 
he doesn't even know what he's doing. He's a child, but to, for young parents and other young kids to go to Primark, which is a huge, uh, everyone, like so many people shop in Primark, to go and see someone that looks like you and a baby that looks like you there is just going to change people's perception growing up and how they feel accepted and a part of our community and society mm -hmm. so he's doing big things and he doesn't even know it plus he's cute as hell and you know his mum typical black mum is so proud like she's screaming from the roofs like my son my son that's my boy um and she the mother went on to say um that she thinks diversity is important in modeling as i don't think there is much representation of dark-skinned people uh that's what she told the metro uh jeremiah is from nigerian and ghanaian descent and i got him into modeling by signing him up to an agency and my son is quite where as he has dark skin i really wanted people to know that you can be dark but still be so beautiful and jeremiah is so melanin magnificence goes out to you little boy that's so cute. That's the first baby, um, Melanie Magnificence. Yeah, that's our first little baby, Melanie Magnificence. Oh, that's really cute. I know, right? So yes, um, thank you, Primark. And he can listen back to this when he's old. When he's old, yeah, we'll send it to the mum. You know, with techno technology. When you're, when, you're still, when you're still running this podcast when you're 85. <laughs> Basically. We'd be giving the belt out to the nurses in the home that wouldn't let us drink or whatever. <laughs> I wonder what technology would be like then, though. Wild. Right, so for the first time in a while, it's time to jump into spirituality and he's here in the flesh to give it to Live us. Live in London, baby. Live in London. <laughs> yes. So spirituality this week, I just wanted to speak about spirit guides. Oh, interesting. So, you know, spirit guides are like this idea that we have spirits that support us in our life. Mm -hmm. You know, most of the time when spirit guides are referred to, um, they are referred to as people who are no longer here and have passed away. However, they can exist physically and present as well. In okay. Yeah, they can. Um well, I love this high belief of spirit guides. Like, people only really pay attention to spirit guides, unfortunately, when they've lost a loved one, you yeah. know? Like, but I just think, well, I live by, and I also think, like, imagine the strength that can be gained, like, if we pray to spirit guides, like, on a daily basis, rather than the loss of a loved one. And in times of need, you know? So, like, imagine we prayed to our spirit guides and didn't just, like and didn't just access strength when someone passed away and then that's when we you know try and pray to them and stuff because i know if i was a spirit guide and you know the people the person i was meant to be guiding was only ever calling me when they needed something i'd be like no man mm -hmm. i ain't helping you out mm -hmm. like you just call me when you want something mm -hmm. yeah it's it's very subjective yeah that's it. If you know, if you know your spirit guide in in real life, like if you meet them in physical form, they have to really be very subjective. Um, but obviously, when people pass away and they're in the spirit world, like they are subjective because they yeah. realize where human life ain't nothing. Yeah. They're like, yo, human life ain't nothing. We was really caught up on negative emotions, like damn. But yeah, I've definitely like 
felt times myself, like when my spirit guides have been working for me. Like I swear during university, like one of my exams, like that was not me who wrote it. I don't know really? how I passed that exam. I don't know if the spirit guide done something to my brain. I don't know if the spirit guide done something to the examiner who marked the exam. But I swear that exam was not me because I don't know how I passed it and I still passed. It's weird. But like, you know, it's just, it's literally just that. It's like a higher belief that you can tap into you know like and once you tap into this higher belief like oh i have like this higher guidance like you are able to notice more things working in your favor Mm -hmm. you know so like it's like even though i just said that about the whole exam thing people probably heard that and think it sounds silly or something but like it's that high that higher belief is making me notice things that i'm blessed for and things that i can appreciate you know so spirit guide belief is like the best belief, you know. Um, so how did you, so do you have a spiritual guide? Yes, I have spirit guides. When did you like? Physical and, and not physical. How yeah. can like, let's start with something a bit easier first. Like how can I, how do you know, or how did you know from your personal experience that your physical spiritual guide was? And did they know? Were they aware? Um, yeah, I mean, not many people really meet their spirit guides physically. Like mm-hmm. they do, but like, mm, it depends. Like, there's spirit guides and there's soulmates. Okay. You know? So yeah. it's like, it's common for people more to find their soulmates, but then it's another thing to find, like, your actual spirit guide. Because okay. if you know your spirit guide, like, you have work to do. You know? Like, if you meet a physical spirit guide, like, you have work to do. And I knew, th- I knew this person was my spirit guide because, like... It's the most random connection ever. They literally popped up out of the randomest place, yeah. but they like understood me and knew me like instantly. So it's that connection. Um, but you know, people may have spirit guides in purse in physical form as well, which the route to find them would be pray to your spirit guides who aren't physical. You know, yeah. so like acknowledge that. Wait, I do have spirit guides that like I can't see. I do have like let's say people for now like who are in favor for what i want Mm -hmm. you know so it's about praying to them spirit guides who you know may have passed away um is it necessarily people that you knew is it is it just human beings or can it be um, it can be (laughs) we can have like you know like beyonce yeah beyonce um channels um Oh, he's shown a lot. Yes. Spirit guide is shown a lot. Like in the Hold Up video, Beyonce has like the yellow outfit on, but yeah. she know, but she got the baseball bat. And oh yeah, I know. <laughs> Spirit guide Ocean. Um, yeah, she is um, a Yoruba goddess, and she is for sensuality and prosperity, and her femininity resides in the ocean. They say That's why Beyonce always be jumping in the sea every day. Basically, you see, no wait, you see how Beyonce, um, you know, on the end of four, and she's lying in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, and she's just floating in the middle yeah. of the ocean. That's probably why. But yeah, they say her sweet and fertile waters brought back life to humanity at one point. So just to go back, Ocean. So I'm talking about Spirit Guide Ocean, and Spirit Guide Ocean. She is a Yoruba goddess. So in like. Um, African tribes and stuff, they, this is a part of their, like, um, their belief. They pray to Ocean. They do ceremonies to Ocean. You know, they, they do healing with Ocean's, um, guidance. Like, it's something they really believe in. Like, so, 
She, oh, Sean as well. She loves honey and she loves to wear yellow. She likes to call it yellow. Um, so that's just an example of how, like, we do have, like, these spirit guides, like, mm-hmm. particular to us. But, like, they may be so common as well. Like, Beyonce spirit guide is, is definitely Ocean because she t- channels Ocean yeah. like through her music through everything you know so we have like you can see it. yeah we have like these overall like strong spirit guides which is something that Christians don't really pay attention to or something that Christians are, are kind of against because they're all against this one higher power yeah. of God so they don't really look into spirit guides but if you're not in a religion then like it's easy to look at spirit guides um, so yeah it's 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 great. Like, do you have any more questions, Miles? Yeah, I was gonna say, like, how can you, how do you know when you're not necessarily ready to like look for a spirit guide? But how can how can you start if like as someone that doesn't know what a spirit guide necessarily is, or how to? I don't know. I don't know whether it's the right wording to say to how to get one because I don't feel like mm-hmm. it's, it's not that kind of thing. You get get one. Like, how do you go a- about finding? your or yeah. discovering your spirit guide and um, communicating yeah and what um, what do they do and okay so you know your spirit guide if the, if they have your spirit at their best interest which is literally your highest self if they have your highest self at best interest and they try and do everything to aid your highest self a, would you say aka someone to help you always live your best life um not well live your best life is is subjective people think that they can post on instagram very materialistic clothes saying live my best life you know oh yeah not like that like but, but living your highest highest spiritual mm-hmm. best life yeah and it's like they have like this um there will be like this feeling of like at first there would be like this feeling of like authority like th- like power you know like this person okay. is a bit like higher than you of some sort do you get me but once you're communicating stuff that balances out and they're like yeah but it's all about just identifying if there's anybody in your life who actually literally does um no way your spirit guide your spirit guide will tell you they will tell you more than likely tell you that they're your spirit guide like they will like speak. Yeah, like if it's supposed to be pursued and you're supposed to get guidance off them physically, they will tell you that they're your spirit guide. Other than that, like pray to your spirit guides for like strength, guidance, all that stuff. Pray for them to become visible to you if there's any in physical form. Mm-hmm. Just pray to your spirit guide, like, uh, but don't forget to pray to God too. Yeah, <laughs> basically. But yeah, I hope y'all enjoyed these this segment because what do you have to say about spirit guides it's so interesting listening to you talk about it because i i completely believe in spirit guides Mm -hmm. also believe in um performance ancestors so i so obviously my name's kush Uh jumbo and my first name is actually a boy's name there was a king kush um, in an ancient part of Egypt that was called Kush. Okay. Okay. He was the grandson of Noah, as in Noah of the Ark. And wow. um, my parents didn't know if I was a boy or a girl. I think my dad was hoping for a boy, but <laughs> hence Kush. But what I didn't know about Kush until I read into him when I got older was that he was um, a king who loved entertainment. He like he built theatres for the people. He did all of this stuff that um my parents could not have known what I was going to end up doing and I'm the only person family who 
who does this job. So that was always kind of interesting to me. And then mm. as, as I was saying, as you go through life, especially I think if you are in a point in your life where either you're at a crossroads or you are struggling with mm-hmm. uh, of some kind that you can't quite, don't know, kind of actualize or you're just kind of stuck. Sometimes a new person will come into your life and that that has not the answer, but makes you look at it in a new way. Yeah. And you think, gosh, if that person hadn't have come into my life, then, yeah. I may have, you know, gone down a different path. I had, um, when I joined The Good Wife, um, I met the makeup artist who then went on to do me for the next um, two years, who was called Helen Gallagher. Mm-hmm. And she was an older lady from New Jersey. <laughs> and um, she was the most amazing person. And when I met her, unbeknownst to me, she was already dying of cancer, um, I, which I didn't know. She'd been... She'd been um, had some treatment and they told her that it would, you know, they'd have to keep an eye on it, but they thought she had a little bit more time, but she was a very much, very, very go getting, very, you know, you sit in that makeup chair in the morning. She knows exactly how you're feeling. She makes you talk things through with her. She made me look at my whole life in many ways and possibly at a couple of people in my life that I would say were toxic Mm -hmm. in, in their effect on what was happening. And I kept trying to kind of exist with this toxicity instead of thinking mm. I should not have these people in my life. Yeah. And um, yeah, she was alive for another two seasons and then she passed away at the end of the second season. And mm. I still have a really strong feeling that she came into my life specifically for the, for that two year period. Yeah. Like she was, she was given a bit more time because she had some work to do with me to help mm. me do work. Um, wow. And it's weird because, as you said, sometimes it's people that have already passed away. But this was strange because we had some life together. Yeah. And then, and then you wow. have this thing about, you know, when I think when you're acting, especially in theatres, you're not the first person to play the part. You're probably yeah. the hundredth, one thousandth person to play the part. <laughs> yeah go through those emotions and so there's a lot of energy in a part and there's a lot of energy in the idea of all the beings that that has passed through before yeah Um, so I always try to tap into especially in the theatre I really try to sit in the dressing room and think about who's played it before me who's been in that room before me who's cried in that room who's laughed in that room who's because you can kind of really gather together all of that energy to help yourself yeah bolster yourself so yeah i'm i'm with you i think it's very very powerful to open yourself up to to that stuff yes the spirit guides oh. yes yes thanks for that um so now it is time for me to measure up what's been going on this week to be honest there hasn't been much happening this week um so yes this weekend miles measures i want to be discussing (laughs) should i start with like heavier stuff or like more petty funny stuff uh let's start with heavy let's start with heavy oh heavy baby (laughs) okay so bet midler do we all know who bet midler is i do not Bette Midler. You what? don't know who Bette Midler is? No. Have you never seen Hocus Pocus? 
Yeah, but I don't know nobody's names in anything. <laughs> <laughs> the main one. Okay, the what main person. What a glorious morning. Yes. Makes me sick. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, she uh, has caused a bit of a stir on Twitter. Now, this actress posted on Twitter earlier this week stating that women are the N-word of the world. Raped, beaten, enslaved, married off, worked like dumb animals, denied education and inheritance, enduring the pain and danger of childbirth and in silence for thousands of years. They are the most disrespected creatures on earth. Um, She was actually... um, quoting uh she told us this after the backlash that she received but she was actually quoting the title of a 1972 song written by john lennon and yoko ono which i think was just as problematic as it was then as it is now um i get what she's saying and it's very 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 fucking clear that women still in 2018 do not have the same rights as men get treated differently pay differently and go through bullshit however I don't think that she should have used that word. I don't think that was the right uh, comparison. Um, again, it's it would be like a straight person saying, oh, you know, it would be like a straight person being like, oh, women are the fags of the world. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like, it's just not appropriate to yeah, use. And I think. Yeah, go on, special buddy. I think obviously you have to be careful when you're, when you're, using comparisons it's in gender race and sexuality and what i need people to stop doing if you are not of black descent then why are you comparing the word nigger to gender that that's not for you that's not for you to make that's not the comparison for you to make Mm -hmm. first of all but you said she was quoting but them them two people still aren't black so exactly and also like who like what was i going to say um Scrap that. I completely agree. I like what she's doing, trying to fight for women's rights and, like, you know, drawing attention to it. And I'm never silencing anyone from doing so. However, I feel like the backlash she had was deserved. I feel like as such a, like, she's not a spring chicken. You know, she's been around for a few years now. Um, I don't know her exact age, but... um, Oh, it says here, the 70-year-old star. Yeah, so she's 72. She's 72, and I feel like in 2018, especially living in America, especially with the political and social climate right now, um, I feel like, Bette Midler, as much of a fan I am of you, I feel like you should have known better than mm. to, to, to fight a good, a good fight. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> But to fight a good fight with these weapons, they were not the right weapons of choice. Um, you could have handled it differently. What are your thoughts on that, Kush? What What was the outcome? Like, did she... she, ap- she ap- yeah, she said... Um, where did she say? She basically said, sorry, uh, I was using uh, a quote. I'm understanding that I offended people. I was merely trying to... Oh, here. I've got the tweet, guys. Her response was, I gather I have offended many by my last tweet. Women are the dot, 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 etc. 
is a quote from Yoko Ono from 1972, which I never forgot. It rang true then and rings true today, whether you like it or not. This is not about race. This is about the status of women, their history, capital letters. I don't know how you can say it's not about race when you've used the, the N-word. Wow. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, bet I love you very much. Right. I think um, we all do. But uh, that... That wasn't really an apology. Was it, it also wasn't really an apology, <laughs> to be fair. Like, so I heard... I In fact, she didn't say sorry once. I'm a little annoyed by what I said, so I'm sorry if you're annoyed, but... Yeah. Um, I think maybe, uh, you know, I, under, I, I don't think it was coming from a bad, malicious place. No, it wasn't. Um, but as you said, I think the main thing is that we all should be careful of making comparisons with something that's so entrenched in an experience that we could never even begin to get our yes. mind. Like, even as a person of colour, I wouldn't compare any of my experiences to that. To that, yeah. Like, what? Because, because as hard as things still are and as bad as things still are and as many problems as we still have racially – we still do not understand what it is to be an enslaved person exactly. in that way. And so it, it's kind of, it's it's disrespectful to their memory yeah. to, um, to use it in that way. I understand that she was quoting, and I'm sure when Lennon and, and Yoko Ono were writing that, they were also trying to get at a similar point. And, you know, and there are women around the world enslaved, and there are women still kind of, you know, we do still have a lot of problems there, but I think we need to look for new, newer um, I think we just need to look for newer comparisons and also we need, yeah. to, we need to start making more statements that are about bringing us together and not dividing us. Yes. There, are, there, are, there, are, there was a way that she could have talked about the struggles that women are still going through without saying, because I think then we start to play a game of who's the, who's most hurt, who wins? Yeah. Mm -hmm. who's, who's the group that's really suffering the most when there are lots of groups suffering? Mm. And I, one thing I have noticed, especially with feminists, especially with white feminists, I feel like they have no real concern or care for, like, the black experience, if that makes sense. Mm. And I, I see that I've seen that a lot with white feminists. Mm -hmm. I find that I mean, interesting. My, uh, it's been really interesting watching, you know, this whole, the whole movement of what's been going on as well, because... Mm. Well, I think it's for me, it's two things. And of course, like, look, I speak for myself. Uh, many a time I, I talk to people like you mm -hmm. and I'll say something and the next thing I know, I'm going to have a million people jumping down my throat. <laughs> I can only speak for myself as a yeah. woman and myself as a person of colour. I do not speak for anybody else. Exactly. But my main thing is that, you know, I'm born in 1985. So I'm born a feminist. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't like some of the amazing older women that were have worked above me like jenny jules like christine baranski yeah. i didn't have to i didn't have to fight to believe that i could become an astronaut or a doctor or a or any of those things i was born believing that i could be whatever could i be wanted, wanted to. yeah mm -hmm. lucky enough to be born into that climate so mm -hmm. labeling myself a feminist i i find it interesting anyway because i feel like that's something that i haven't earned like i think if you're of our generation you are fortunate enough to have been born with at least the same things. Yeah. That you could, mm -hmm. um, I would say that's different with race. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think, I, I think I've always been very well aware that I'm not good enough mm. as a child. And uh, talking about that little boy, you know, that poster child for Primark, 
you know, that's a big deal. Yeah. For little children who are darker, who don't see dark children yeah. as beautiful anywhere. And so, um, so we're coming back to the, you know, Bette Midler and her remark and the, the, the whole women thing, I'm completely, completely against, you know, sexism and the fact that things are still unbalanced. That's true, between yeah. On equality. That's, that, I completely agree on that. What sometimes frustrates me is that as a creative of colour, I feel like I've been on this journey, on this battle journey, on this, like intense campaign of as we were saying hustle 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 and and be better and and learn more and prove to them that you can be just as good since I was six or seven years old and when I want to talk about it publicly Mm -hmm. or march about it my some of my me too sisters weren't marching with me yeah Mm. but now now yeah now they have you know some things to talk about there's a whole bunch of attention and a whole bunch of support and a whole bunch of financial backing. Um, so sometimes, you know, I, I think there's still a conversation to be had there about, well, when is a fight good enough to fight for? Because mm-hmm. when we talk about where are, where are the jobs for us or why aren't there more people in one of these shows or why can't we, you know, Lenny Henry talks about the fact that there aren't enough people of colour on our production crew. Yeah. He gets completely apart, completely yeah. ripped apart in the press. No one's marching, no one's shouting, no one's backing us. But when it's your problem, yep. now we now we're all going to march and we're all and we're all going to pick up a bus. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think honest about that. Now, I'm not saying that's Bette Midler's situation. Yeah, I think it came from place, and I get that that's her fight. And she's and absolutely, she's someone who is a, a true, true feminist in the true yeah. sense of the world. Been yeah. fighting these battles when things were even more unequal than they are now, but. I think starting to kind of, you know, say, well, this group is more in need than yeah. this group or more in need than this group is a slippery slope. Mm, 100%. Definitely. Um, Tina Turner uh, has revealed that uh, she contemplated uh, committing suicide um, in her latest book. She's got a book coming out. Um, she's also got a musical on the West End right now, which is all... It's a good time for Tina, but it wasn't always a good time for Tina. She said she was going to commit suicide and she was saved, um, in fact, by her husband uh, with a secret kidney transplant. I didn't know that she underwent what? any of those things. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, she said that um, in the, her words verbatim, I began to think about death. If my kidneys were going... Um, and it was time for me to die, I could accept that. It was okay. When it's time, it really is time. I don't mind the thought of dying, but I was concerned about how I would go. So she, whilst living in Switzerland, where suicide is legal and um, it's accepted over there, uh, she actually did sign up to be a member of Exit, which is an assisted dying organisation. However... We thank Jesus, her husband, who that she, who she married in 2013, offered her one of his kidneys. So, yeah, she's been going through it in secret. And oh, that book would be so interesting. Yeah. Mm. So that sounds like a good read. Um, so was she, she going to commit suicide because the kidney wasn't working? Or yeah, because... and she was concerned about how she was going to go. So she, I guess, oh, didn't. Yeah. yeah. 
that's like a common thing for like people when they have illness, like um, to look in assisted suicide. I remember I seen it on a TV show. Yeah, her in, instead of opting for um, a treatment, she left her kidneys uh, to the point where they were at just twenty percent of their normal function. So sis must have been going through it. Um, yeah, but luckily she didn't. She was saved by her husband uh, by the name of Erin Back. I don't even know what he looks like. Oh, okay. He's yeah, he's he's very good looking. She met she met him like they've been together for a long time, like thirty years or something. Wow. Well, yeah, we thank God he saved her. Oh, well, he's younger than her as well, sixty-two. Come yes. on, Tina. <laughs> wow. Yes, uh, and then the last thing I was going to talk about. Uh, are you up to date with the whole Kylie B and Nicki Minaj thing, Kush? You too Ugh, grown for that. I, you don't. I'm, I'm guess you don't I'm follow that. Old. I'm old. <laughs> I know that Cardi B had a baby, and that's as far as my interest. That's went, all you want to know. In it, basically. I was also having a baby at the same time, so it was just like me, Cardi B, Khloe Kardashian. <laughs> and, and, Princess Kate were all pushing at the same time, and that's all I was interested in. But anyway, <laughs> well, her and this, um, and Kylie B and Nicki Minaj have been going back and forth for like a couple of years now with Petty Beef. Um, but Kylie B, however, was uh accused of, um, I think she was like accused of getting her bodyguards to like beat up some strippers that apparently. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mm. Fucked her man. Mm-hmm. I don't know why she should have gone after the girls when it was your man that mm-hmm. you should have maybe had a word with. But she did what she did uh, and she turned herself in. In I couldn't breathe. She went to the police station in this 
beautiful gown <laughs> and heels and like this huge hat and walked into the station with oh, it was flipping hilarious but anyway yeah she was charged with assault and reckless engagement after ordering this uh strip club attack um so i think she's uh, this happened on the yeah i know i can't breathe and there's pictures of her exiting in this marilyn monroe wig I'm doing. she said <laughs> and like, oh, yeah pictures. no she like, after she went went to hand herself in she was like hey guys yeah um, <laughs> i'm just gonna give you a look <laughs> let me just get my notebook out of my hermes so i can explain <laughs> what's going on look okay here's what happened Oh, God. So she's been charged and I think she's been sentenced. But these two strippers, their lawyers come forward and just saying that oh, Kylie B thinks that her celebrity status is going to take away from the cause of justice and it won't. And I don't think it will. She turned herself in very dramatically. Um, I think she's going to I think she knows that she messed up and she's going to. Um, She's going to uh, deal with the consequences. She's going to pay her way out of it and then make a song about it, basically. Well, me, we'll see. What about the, the baby daddy? Is she with him or what? She's still with him. I don't know why, sis. I really oh, don't know why. Because he's out here, like, regularly cheating on her. And she what? is going crazy what? with what all of the mean? girls and not her man. That. I know. She's got her own money now. Like, lots of money. So it's not even, like... He's supporting her. But she's got her own self. That actually makes me feel quite sad because that means that her level of self-esteem is, is way down low. Right. It's so true. So I want to help you, Ardy. I want to find your spiritual guide. Yeah, yeah. So she needs one. Literally. She needs one. Um, and uh, to add salt to the wound, her rival, Nicki Minaj has uh, who Cardi B accused of stopping her bag. She said, Nick, Nikki's stopping my bag. She's stopping my coins. Like she's telling rappers not to feature me and da 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 da. And to, as a comeback, uh, <laughs> Nicki Minaj has launched a range of bags. <laughs> this is a range of bags. What did I say for you? On the front ago, of the bag, it says, woman. Nikki stopped my bag. I told you she's a businesswoman. <laughs> what did I say? She's planning her next move. Nikki does not like to react in any situation. She plans her next business move all the time. That's why I'm Team Nikki. Hysterical. Absolutely. That hilarious. is exactly why I'm Team Nikki. So I let you sneak diss me. I let you lie on me. I let you attempt to stop my bags. Fuck up the way I eat. Cardi B wrote. Uh, Nicki Minaj denied these accusations on her radio show, Queen Radio, but now has these line of shirts, backpacks, and jackets, all of them <laughs> in, with the slogan, Nicki, stop my bag. And to be honest, they are kind of cute. <laughs> and, and I've ordered everything. And I have a copy of everything in black, pink, and blue. No, I'm joking. <laughs> But that's really it for like media, pop culture this week. Um, unfortunately, we don't have our sis Kashmir uh, with us because, like I said, she's quad biking in the deserts, catching the sun and enjoying life. But we do have Kush Jumbo here and we wanted to find out from you, like you've already explained quite a bit who you are, but like how did you get from being a Lewisham girl with a dream to where you are now? Wow, that um, it was a long journey. I yeah. mean, I think um, I mean I went to the Brit School mm -hmm. when I was fourteen, which I think um, 
is misunderstood to be some kind of stage school where everyone sits around in leg warmers playing guitars to each other. Now, there are some people that sit around in leg warmers yes. and play guitars. <laughs> um, but it's also a really good school. Yes, and, 100%. Um, good education there. I went to drama school in North London. I went to Central School of Speech and Drama. Yeah. I did a three-year three degree because... I didn't know anyone in the business. I didn't know anything about the business and I needed more training. Like I, I didn't come from a very academic um, place and I needed more time and more training. So for me, drama school was, was a good decision. Yeah. Um, not for everybody and that's cool too. So then I left there and I got an agent and I guess in your head you think that's the end of the story. Now everything's going to be great. But actually... Um, I had a pretty hard journey for the first five years. I signed to an agent that actually probably wasn't right for me. Mm-hmm. And this agent was um, was kind of into the idea of me just doing lots and lots of bad television because she said that I was urban, in quotation marks. Low. Was this a white that, woman? Yeah. Oh, and cool. that, that was in, in fashion currently and that it was a big saleable part of who I was. Whereas I had always dreamt of kind of playing, um, you know, classical roles on stage and, um, you know, um, I, I guess kind of like, yeah, like really stretching myself, you know, theatrically and in other ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, I was with her for a few years and it was around that point that I actually um, started writing. um, I was kind of frustrated and I was doing three or four waitressing different waitressing jobs I did market research I did nannying I did teaching I did cleaning I um, ran a pancake store can you please let everyone know that's listening that wants to make it you have to undergo jobs you don't want to do and not go out clubbing and not do nice things if you want to get there Kush told it to you now okay I didn't I did not go on holiday for ten years. Oh, I mean, wow. and, then when, and then when you do, and then when you do um, get a job, you, as you know, you have yeah. to make big Christmases. You miss birthdays. You miss weddings. Yeah. You miss all this stuff because you have to do the work when you get the work, and um, you know that treadmill can be very depressing. Yeah. And I was writing, I was writing drama, and I was sending off to theatres to see if anybody would accept any of my submissions, and nobody would ever reply. And I kind of was in a bad relationship at the time, quite a toxic relationship with a guy who was also an actor, but was like a kind of trust fund baby slash cocaine addict. And, um, you know, everything was, Mm -hmm. was, you would say that my spiritual guide was missing at that point. I think you'd say spiritual baddie. Like I was in a stuffy situation, but I was just going around in circles. And I actually began to think, do you know what? I don't think I want to do this anymore because it's not how I dreamt it would be as a child. I can't pay the rent. I don't come from money. So I'm struggling just to go like hand to mouth. And when I do get jobs, I'm doing jobs that I hate and I don't feel fulfilled. And you know what? Maybe I could be better used teaching other people or in a completely different job because this is making me so low um, that at one point I... You know, I, I definitely, the depression was pretty bad at yeah. one point. So I, at that point, was writing a show about Josephine Baker in my parents' attic, which is where I'd moved to. Nice. <laughs> and working like three jobs a week. And um, I went up to Manchester to 
do As You Like It at the Royal Exchange, which was oh, one wow. of the first jobs. I like, oh, my God, I'm really stretching myself. I love this. I love what I'm doing. And I bagged a, diff- a new agent who was the agent who said, who I, and I said to him, you know, like, look, I'm really struggling. I can't pay the rent. Like, the, the theatre doesn't pay enough, and I want to do this, but I can't. Maybe I should stop. And he said, you keep your artistic currency high, and currency yes. will follow. And so he said, um, I've just seen an audition come up to play for an all-female Julius Caesar at Donmar, wow. and they don't pay any money, but this time in your life where you will ever get the chance to play Mark Antony. Yeah. Um, do you want to go in for it? And I walked into that audition and I knew every speech. I think I'd been given like four days before the audition and I learned every Mark Antony speech yes, in the uh... play because I was like, I'm getting this fucking job. Yes, I'm, bitch. I'm <laughs> a feeling that I'm supposed to do this job and I'd never been given the opportunity to play such a meaty, steak-filled mm. role. So I walked in there and there was Phila Lloyd, the director who, as you were saying, directed, T- directed Tina the musical and yeah. Mamma Mia, the movie and The Iron Lady and, you know, big Oscar winning yeah. director. And I walked in, I did Mark Antony and I amazingly got the job and I showed her my Josephine script because I'd been told she was a really good dramaturg, like she could have a look at it and maybe give me, give me some notes. Yeah. She ended up saying she wanted to direct it. Look at and that. That's how it got to the bush and then it sold out the bush and then that's how it transferred to New York and Julius Caesar went to New York. So I was doing that and, you know, trying to get Josephine on in New York and then had a big write up in the New York Times and then the people from The Mm -hmm. Good Wife came to the show and they cast me in The Good Wife. They offered me a job on The Good Wife from watching the one woman show about Josephine Baker. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a journey. Written because I was so depressed. I was so at a low that I was like, if I don't write something and do something in a mm. pub somewhere, I'm going to lose my mind because mm. I know I, I know there's more to me than two lines in Casualty. Yes. Yes. You got oh. that um, right. <laughs> so that's, the, that's the really short version and that probably makes it sound like it was a really quick trajectory. But that You was said like, earlier it was over 15 years, this journey, right? Yeah. yeah. So people on a, year two or year three or maybe even year eight of their journey of their struggle of the not having the money don't quit basically don't quit and also remember that this is a marathon not a sprint yeah say it but it's very easy to look at your contemporaries you know if you're eight years in as you said i mean two years is one thing you know you've got yeah. to pay your dues you've got to pay the bottom yeah if you're eight in and you're like man i would like to take a holiday i don't mm. want to live in a house share anymore yeah i don't like the fact that i never have a penny to kind of, you know, just go out for a meal with my friends. Mm-hmm. I can, you open up the, you know, ES magazine or you look on the front cover of the Evening Standard and there's some douchebag yeah. who you know as good as you kind of making the money and shooting off into stardom because they might fit into a better box or look a certain way. And that can be really frustrating and get you down because you're like, why isn't that happening for me? Like, why why am I in this situation and that's happening for them? And I know that I'm as talented or even more talented than this person. Mm-hmm. However, however, you learn that that is a negative frame of mind. A hundred percent. And that you are on the journey you're on for a reason. It's your journey and nobody else's. So it's going to, if it's going to happen for you, it's going to happen for you when it's meant to happen for you. And that was my journey. Like this was meant to happen, how yeah. it's happened as it's happening now and it's yeah. not the end of my journey it's just yeah. like the 
at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it's going. I don't know what route it's going to take. Mm-hmm. I was meant to go through the struggles that I was going through, mm-hmm. face new challenges and new struggles. And one other thing I would say about, you know, people around you, if there are people around you that are your friends or your contemporaries that are getting jobs, mm-hmm. and, and there is, and there is, you don't mean to be negative about it, but there is sometimes something quite shitty about of it. Of course. Like you know, it doesn't feel good sometimes yeah. when you didn't get a job or when you're like, why aren't I going for that stuff? Or I, I've, I learned over the years that... When someone else close to you has a great has a great luck happen to them like that, mm-hmm. also luck for you. Like because people move in circles, in mm-hmm. kind of energy. So every energy. time that something good happens for someone close to you, that's a little bit of good energy coming a bit further your mm-hmm. way. That's true. And it comes closer and it comes closer and it comes closer until one day, bam, it's you. It's you. But if you if every time someone close to you, something good happens for them, you hate on it, it pushes you further attra- away. Exactly, and it would just, yeah, yeah, yeah just attract that is what, bullshit energy. Yeah, which is why if you're doing something good in your life and you have people around you that are shitting on it, you have to keep those people away. Mm-hmm. Amen. Definitely. They Bottom line. directly your ability to bring more to you, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. Um, definitely. And so, like, as hard as it is sometimes when you're in those low times and those dark times, if something good happens to someone else close to you, be happy for them, support yeah. them, give them your positive energy because it's going to be you. It's bringing it. It's mm-hmm. all connected mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, Kush, I want, you said that obviously your journey was like a long journey. Like, um, it sounds there definitely anyway. But I just want to know, like, is there a point in your life that you can actually pinpoint and be like, okay, I was headed in the di- right direction now. And if so, how long did it take for you to have that epiphany? Like, oh, I'm actually in the right direction. Okay, so, um, man, of course, with the with hindsight, when you look back on it, you can go, oh, I pinpoint that as a definite shift. But when you're in the middle of it, it just feels like it's going on forever. Yeah. Um, I think that it makes a huge difference to have an agent who truly yeah. understands you and supports you in who you are as an artist, because yeah. that was a, a major shift for me, a shift in the kinds of things I was going up for, in um, the ability for someone to say, look, I don't care if you don't work for two years. I don't care if you don't make me any money for five years. I have a belief in you that means we're going to wait until the right thing comes up because this is a we're yeah. playing you know we're playing the long game not someone who's like we've got to make some money and we've got to make it now and somebody that you're too scared to call them and say hi because you think they're going to drop you because you're not making them enough yeah. money um so I I think um that was one point but also when I first wrote Josephine I actually sat down and wrote it to be part of the Camden Fringe Festival um, because okay. I couldn't quite, I couldn't afford to take it to Edinburgh. I had like no money. I like took, took out my last 400 quid um, and no. entered it into the Camden Fringe Festival and I put it on at the Etc. Theatre, which is above the Oxford Arms on Camden High Street. And it, you know, cost me no money to do. It seats 15 people, one five. And I did it, wow. for, and I did it for three nights. And I remember... You know, we're literally with the aim of just doing something for myself, as yeah. you, as you've done with with this podcast. And when I, the first night I did it, 
with 15 strangers and they all stood up and applauded and talked to me about it afterwards and told me how great it was. I felt like a little piece of me that had kind of been dying the last few years came back to me. Came back to life, yeah. And it, it really showed me that you have to try to take control of your creative journey. And I, from that moment, I thought, okay, whether I make money doing this job or I always have to do jobs on the side to help me do this job, I know that I'm going in the right direction. I know I need to keep yeah. making work because that's what makes me happy. Um, so I think the thing that really, yeah, I think that was one massive point was kind of, making the decision to make something for myself that put me in control of my narrative. Because sitting sitting there and waiting for the phone to ring is so depressing. Because it's out of your control. You don't control it. You have to control something. If you can control something, a piece of it, a part of it, a little bit of writing, a little bit of recording, a little bit of performing, then you at least feel like, you know, you're somehow making something happen for yourself. Um, yeah, I think that can be a big, a big turning point sometimes. One hundred percent. I completely agree with you there. Um, I also have a question. I've got two questions for you. One, again, just it, obviously it is Black History Month. And one thing I really wanted to find out from you, and I'm sure listeners would want to as well, is um, what or who uh, in British black history uh, has inspired you or resonates with you um, as a black woman? Well, um, <laughs> I'm always looking into um, British black women of colour of the past because I'm fascinated by, especially because I'm a Londoner, by the history of yeah. our city and how us as black people have been there for a hell of a lot longer than we are taught in school. And, yes. um, and not and not as slaves, funnily enough, as actually yeah. as free, living, walking, breathing, business-owning people. And yeah. um, the person that I wanted to talk about is a woman called Anne Duck, A-N-N-D-U-C-K, quack, quack, duck, her surname is. <laughs> she was born around 1714 yeah. and she was born in London. Her father was a very famous black sword-fighting master. And he would teach all the rich young men to sword fight with a small sword. Um, And he would teach that over by St. Paul's Cathedral. And he he had come from the islands when he was a very young boy, but not as a slave. Um, And he was living in London at a time where there was a whole bunch of black people living in London because a lot that we'd just been through the Hundred Years War. So there was a whole lot of black people that had trained in the armies and were in the armies and were now living in London, just living there. And um, he married a white woman called Anne. Mm -hmm. They had seven children and Anne Duck was the oldest of the seven. Um, Now, (laughs) the the rest of her life... um, I find it inspiring because you'll see in a second when I tell you the story. It's I, it's not a, it's not a line of work that I would recommend. Um, but she basically Anne was a very 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 high spirited unruly girl. Her father okay. her father died when she was sixteen, but not before he had taught her all the best kinds of hand to hand combat, small swordmanship, and kind of um, bare knuckle fighting. And so, Ideal. Yeah, and so she went on to form an all-female gang 
who became yes. very famous over a five-year period for robbing very rich men after the opera in Covent Garden and pickpocketing. I'm so here for this. Right? <laughs> picking their pockets, beating them up, stealing their periwigs, trussing them up like pigs inside alleyways. <laughs> It was all over the papers. It's all over the trial records, which I've read. The reason why I know so much about her is I'm actually writing a play about her currently. Um, I was literally going to say, uh, why, when are we going to get something about this? I'm currently writing a show about her um, for the National. Yes. I'm like in the middle of it. And I find her well, fascinating. If you need any mixed actors. Dude, we'll need loads. You're hired. <laughs> um, the reason why I find her fascinating is because it's at a time for... Um, women actually more women than people of color because we're kind of taught in this victorian way that like black people all came on the windrush and yeah. that's how they got here but this is a time when it really wasn't unusual to pass black people in the street because there were so many you know the 1700s yeah. in london all the cities that had ports and ships were full of full of people of color and full of mixed race children everywhere mm-hmm. and so what was unusual about this girl gang was, was that it was a girl gang and yeah. men were terrified of them. I can imagine all these black women. <laughs> right. And and she taught them all how to fight. So it was like, you know, it became this big thing about them trying to catch them and arrest them. Anyway, the two other main girls in the gang were also called Anne. There was Anne Barefoot and Anne Gwyn. And they were called the Three Annes. And they had this reign of terror in London for five years. They made so much money from robbing people on the highways that they began to give it away to women and children who were poorer in the poorer areas of London. <sighs> I mean, I know. we were talking about dumbass Robin Hood. Like, where know. was this story? This would have had me gagging in school. <laughs> Absolutely. And then they finally were able to catch the three of them and they hung them all on the same day at Tyburn, which is now Oxford Circus. And the three of them were only 25 years old. Wow. So they'd done all this in the space of five years. And I guess why it really captures my imagination is they were like, this is a time when women, they can't own businesses. They are, a majority of them are in like an abusive relationships with mm-hmm. different kinds of, you know, it's the, it's the time of the gin epidemic. So everyone's drunk all the time. There's a lot of poverty. Um, there's only so high you can rise as a woman of no education. And they kind of decide that they are going to form something and make it happen and become infamous for their their stuff and kind of give back to the community (laughs) as well. Um, And I guess it gets me because we're never taught about, we're never taught those stories. Never. Like I said, Robin Hood, everyone knows. And that is nowhere near as entertaining as three black girls running around London. Right. It's a really <laughs> Ridiculing exciting, rich white men in Covent Garden. Right. It's a really exciting, you know, Angelina Jolie high octane story. Right. And, and, I, and stories like that make me feel more part of the British experience and of, yes. you know, of our history. Because those people are there. Their, their footsteps are in are in the city. So, yeah, that's who I wanted to give a shout out to. Old Anne Duck, who was um, very badly behaved, but very motivated. Yeah, incredibly <laughs> motivated. <laughs> well, if I'm not in the play, even like just like as the wind or something, then I want, I'll be at your press night. So, one of the well, other. Dude, you, you, you get an audition. <laughs> Yes, uh, I'll tell my agent right now. Um, uh, And finally, uh, there's been lots of um, animosity in the the acting world. Um, 
and especially between Africa, um, not Africans, sorry, Americans and the Brits. Mm. We've had uh, there's been lots of different scandals. Samuel Jack- Samuel L. Jackson has, has said some wild things, and most recently, um, we've had this this palaver with Cynthia Erivo being cast um, in her recent role as Harriet Tubman and people saying, no, you know, these Brits coming over and they're taking the roles and they won't be able to act like how we can. And, you know, she's not African-American, so why should she? I wanted to get, what is your experience as a black British actress working in America? Have you encountered anything like that? Um, and have you dealt with it if you have or if you haven't? And what is your take on the whole thing? I think it's a real mixed bag. I think Mm -hmm. that, I mean, my personal feeling and opinion is that we're all on the same team. Mm -hmm. You know, we are, it, it just so happens that because of the nature of how big America is physically is, as a landmass, yeah. there is just a lot more film and television work here for us. Yeah. Um, we have a long way to go in the UK in terms of, you know, I, I, the lead role, you know, playing Luca on the show, that's the kind of role that I couldn't get in the UK, not because I couldn't get it, but because it doesn't exist. It's not there. It's not Somebody has to make that role available, which is probably what I'm going to have to do myself. You know, I'm going to yes, basically <laughs> need to create my own show. But um, they're not yet at the point where they are like, you know, where ITV wants to be open enough to uh, give me my own detective show. So, I mean, I remember once yeah. reading an interview with Sophie Okunido. And them saying, mm-hmm. you know, Sophie, why don't you come back and, and head up head up your own show in the UK? And she said, write me one and I'll be there. But you know, it doesn't yes. it doesn't exist. So mm-hmm. so that's so that's why a lot of us are here. We're not here because we're trying to steal people's jobs. We're just kind of here doing the work. Yeah. And doing what we and, were right, on the planet to do. Right. <laughs> and then you go into the room and you do your best in the audition and it it looks like um British actors are doing pretty well when it comes to that. Yeah. I don't think that's because people go, oh, well, they're, you're British, so we'll hire you. Because a lot of the time we're all doing American accents, right? So we're mm-hmm. still playing American people. I think it's a lot to do with um, we have a different background of training that's different to the American version of training. We do some American training, but our British training is yeah. a bit different. Whether whether you go to drama school or you go to a musical theatre school or you don't go to drama school at all, British black actors have a slightly uh, because because by the nature of the fact that we're born somewhere else and we have a different experience, we have a different kind of way that we act, and yeah. it's a slightly different stylistically, and it does well here. But I think it only gets picked up in the media that we we, we are getting so many jobs because I guess we're we come from a tiny island, yeah, and in the bigger pool of actors here, we're doing mm-hmm. pretty well, but. There are millions of shows and millions of jobs. Just look on Netflix, like there are millions. Yeah. And there are still a ton, 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 ton of black actors, black American actors doing really well here. Yeah. What I don't like is when we start getting on each other about it. And a majority mm-hmm. of the time I've had no, nothing negative said to me, especially in the, in the theatre business here. I've been welcomed with open arms by you know the people that I've worked with in the industry and I think in tv and and film as well um but yeah you you hear comments and you hear things that people say and I'm sure anybody even listening to what I just said about different kinds of training 
is going to jump down my throat about saying, well, now you're saying that British black actors are better than American actors and don't compare us and don't pit, pit us against each other. And that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that mm-hmm. we have a, a variety of stuff to offer as Americans and yeah. as Brits and as being people of colour. Like we have this huge yeah. breadth of acting styles, which yeah. could be good for everyone. Um, and so... And at the day, acting, I feel acting is acting. Like that's the whole point i'm not a reality tv star i'm not going on to play myself in fact the furthest from me i can be as possible is challenging right and it and we can't have it one way and then not another way so if you want to start trying to say you know well cynthia can't play harriet tubman because she's not american well then can i not play hamlet because i'm a woman or you know can i we can't have it both ways you can't say well i i want it to be equal i want us well to go up for all these kinds of roles and then when you do cast somebody say well hold on a minute they need to be american yeah and then you know einstein needs to be from his country and then you know whoever yeah can you imagine (laughs) where do we where do we draw draw the line because i all you know i would also like to get past the, the the gender thing i've talked to a lot of gay actors about the fact that it's like you know I cannot, somebody will not cast me as, as a straight character or, or somebody will only yeah. cast me as a gay character. And that's something we need to get past too. It's like, we're yeah. actors, we act, that's what we do. Yeah. So, and there's enough people Oof. jumping down our throats about being black. Do we need to be doing it to each other? I just think, yeah. Oh, I just think it's lame. 100%. Um, and last but not least, what would you say is the best advice you could give for any insp- um, aspiring actors or actresses or creatives in general? You've told, talked to us about, you know, being motivated and working through um, not having that much money and keeping your creative uh, standards high regardless. Is there anything else that you would say, you know, focus on this or anything you would say to aspiring creatives? I would say, especially if you you are, you know, low on the cash, you need to try to keep your soul topped up um, mm-hmm. with food, with, with creative food. Now, if you have some cash or you have a friend on a show, that might mean going to the theatre. It mm-hmm. might mean really taking advantage of the fact that nearly every museum and every National Trust house in our country is free. It's free. Amen. And it doesn't need to be anything to do with the business. You know, it doesn't need to be like, okay, I need to go to acting classes and sing class and dancing classes, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yes. Of course you want to stay on top of all that stuff. But sometimes going to a gallery and looking at an interesting perspective on something or sometimes taking the spending 10 quid and taking the train outside of London on a summer's day and reading a book in a field can be very, can be very enriching. Or sometimes maybe going on a, course to do i don't know go and do a bit of free meditation or putting yourself putting yourself out there to do an experience that you've never done before can really top you up creatively if you get outside of your own head um Mm -hmm. so when especially on those days when you're like fuck me this is a tough day or this is a tough week or this is a tough year um you know treat treat yourself to topping up your soul in some way um, even yeah. if, even if you can't, yes, if you've got a bit of cash, that might mean going away somewhere or doing a course or going to the theatre. But if you don't mm-hmm. have any cash, that might mean getting to get to getting together with a couple of friends and reading a play in a pub with a couple pints of beer. Or it might mean, yeah. you know, getting outside. Or it might mean, you know, whatever. Do something for yourself. Cooking. You know, I love I love baking. I love baking cakes. Yeah. 
I can spend hours baking cakes and then eating them all. Um, and I know I know that sounds easy for me to say when I when you know I'm in a now in a different place than I was, but I still continue to do that all the time because I don't know how long this current situation may last. Exactly. Ooh, that's a word. Nothing's permanent. So I'm still going to the theatre. I'm still reading books. I'm still writing. I still look at every beautiful sky and take a picture of it. I still get outside. I still support my friends. I make sure that you know I'm in contact with my friends and my family. And keep, yeah. it, keep all that stuff topped up because that's the stuff that will feed you, you know, in it's your life. tank. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, thank you so, so much for for all of that that's been absolutely amazing thank you um, for having me so it's time for get the belt um so my belt this week i give this belt with ease and with sensitivity an easy belt this week <laughs> yeah um because yeah i just have to give my belt to people who come across as selfish because i think there's a line between protecting your own energy and doing this whilst helping somebody yeah. right and um, like there are people who, when it comes to help them themselves, um, that is uncomfortable for them. So they don't. They don't right? help themselves. Yeah, like they don't help themselves. Um, so it's like they're like so selfish that they can't even help themselves when the opportunity comes to help themselves. I'm trying to. F- Basically, <laughs> pe- there's a fine line between being selfish and being. St- being selfish whilst helping yourself or helping somebody else and there's people who are that selfish that they can't help themselves never mind anybody else so my bell goes to them with sensitivity and ease because they obviously must be struggling with something to be at a place where they can't help themselves or help anybody else so my bell goes to them it makes sense if you listen back it does make sense i might have to listen that back <laughs> so who this week are you giving your belt to kush well miles <laughs> so i have noticed i mean i think i've always noticed this but um i guess the older i get the more i keep expecting people to treat me like a grown-up and they don't i think possibly based on you know the way i look so basically my husband and i and the baby got on a plane (laughs) on a certain airline to fly back here. (laughs) Yes. And we bought a seat for the baby because we are lucky enough to be able to do that. And Mm -hmm. so that the baby would have a bit more space. And Mm -hmm. when we got on the plane, we first of all were told that we were in the wrong section. Right. Even though we weren't. As in, oh, 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 I think economy's that way. And, okay. and then when we did get to our section and we put the baby down between us, the guy said, oh, I'm, he was like, I'm sorry. Um, uh, the baby has to travel on you. And I said, no, no, the baby has a seat. I bought the baby yes. a seat. And he said, Sis. and he said, are you sure? Can I see your tickets? Okay. So now I'm a liar. <laughs> and I was talking about it with my husband after, and I guess it was a combin. It's a combination of um, people, you know, making a judgment of you from the moment you stepped on the plane as to what section you should be in. Number one, right? And then number two, making a judgment that I'm not telling the truth, or that I'm truth, too, or that I'm too stupid to know what I'm talking about, which I also think is based upon probably, <sighs> you know, a combination. I think of age, race. 
And, uh-huh. um, you know, the person in their head, I don't think, I don't think this, this um, person on this staff was thinking I'm going to be sexist and racist right now. But I think that people are still making assumptions rather than choosing to um, be open to the fact that this person might know what they're talking about. And so I would like to give this member of that crew the belt this week, you know, without, I'm not going to blow up the airline or anything, but you know, (laughs) if you're in the service industry and we're now living in a world where a person (laughs) is a billionaire, Exactly. And half the time they do. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I might be wearing an Adidas tracksuit with my Nike Air Max and, you know, I might have baby sick down me and maybe I have, you know, <laughs> a copy of Grazia under my arm. But <laughs> if I say I bought the seat for the baby, please have the respect to at least like give me the benefit of the doubt that I'm telling the truth. Right. I'm not trying to kind of like. Or at least go back to your like little re- cash register and check then. Uh-huh. And then it, it, like. Do you know, if you really... Yeah, because <laughs> I think believe. I think for me, the most embarrassing bit was him saying loudly in front of the whole section, yeah. can I see your tickets? Wow. Because, and I felt very embarrassed and that everyone was looking at us, and they were, and I bet they yeah, were thinking, oh, look at these people thinking they're in this section when they're not, and thinking they've got a seat mm. for the baby when they haven't. And then the guy didn't apologise. Once he checked our tickets, he didn't apologise. Oh. He just walked off. And I think... Um, I think that it's it's a cold it's a kind of cold hard reminder that that even when you've done a bit better for yourself, um, those that, those little that. bits those little stings still happen. Yeah, you know. So yeah, they're getting the belt from me this week. Um, my belt this week uh, goes to John Apter, uh, who is chairman. Of the Police Federation. Um, He had a little hissy fit after Diane Abbott spoke up about the disproportionate level of force used by police frequently uh, towards young black males. Uh, She tweeted um, with a video um, saying that too often a disproportionate level of force is used by police against young black men, it has to stop. Evidence-based stop and search is important in fighting crime, but all that we see here is the type of video that poisons police-community relations. Um, which is completely correct. You know, I've, in the past couple of weeks, seen about three or four videos where police are criminalizing black men. They're using way too much force, um, and half of all of the black men that were in these videos d- did nothing wrong. They were either accused of smoking weed. You know, Kalechi was on the show last week and she spoke briefly of her brother that was um, manhandled and slightly choked by police officers, having his hoodie pulled over his face. And they um, were saying that they'd seen him smoking what they thought was a spliff. There was no weed around. He actually didn't smoke and said he's asthmatic. He doesn't smoke. And on top of that, when the sister, not the sister, when the girlfriend of the um, the man that was being essentially attacked by the police for no reason or harassed, when she asked the police officer, why are you arresting him? The response she got from the police was, we don't know. Wow. I think it's, I know. And there's evidence of this online. And yeah, the police, um, this man, um, 
uh, John Apter said that such sweeping anti-police statements without knowing the facts are incredibly damaging. It is comments like this which poison police community relations. No, it's not. It is the videos that we see of the police force attacking um, and targeting black young males. Yeah. It is, those are the videos that um, make us as black people in Britain and across the road feel anxious about being around you. It's not when you've got MPs or anyone raising awareness and highlighting that that is absolute fuck shit. Yeah. That's not what the problem is. And yeah. I think that that like him even going at, going off at her to say essentially silencing her like we like she shouldn't be like any of their fuck ups as police should just go and notice on oh, don't don't pull us up on when we mess up because you know then people won't like us like no you need to be pulled up just as anyone else would yeah and we would like, res- we would respect you a hell of a lot more if you put your hand up and said do you know what diana but you're absolutely right things need to improve exactly. there are things we need to do what what i think is really terrible is when why do why do people try to gaslight each other like why do they why do they try to pretend that it's oh no this is in your head it's you that's doing this exactly like don't be defensive exactly. be truthful Exactly. So my belt goes to um, that idiot, John Apter. Uh, please just start having some more sense of ownership when things go wrong. Mm-hmm. Because not everybody is fucking perfect. Yes, there are going to be some black men that do need arresting and sometimes do need some force, but not all of them. No. So when you do get pulled up about things like this, please just start accepting some responsibility. You're not above the law. You're here to reinforce it. So yeah, my belt goes to you this week. Well. We've come to the end of another episode of Get the Belt. Thank you, thank you so much for tuning in, guys. And a huge thank you for taking time out of your day, uh, Kush, and coming on the show with us. We've really, really enjoyed having you on with no us. No worries. I've loved being on. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Um, it's been beautiful speaking with you. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Well, is there anything anyone would like to add before we head out? I wish you a great week, baby. Thank you. Wicked. Well, if you did enjoy the show, please give us a follow on, you know, Instagram, Twitter and all of that at Contact to Get the Belt Pod. Um, if you do have any questions, if, you, if there's anything that you would like to ask either one of the hosts or any of our future guests, please email us at contact at getthebeltpod.com. Feel free to share this episode, spread the word, spread the love, spread the joy. And yeah, make sure you're subscribed. Um, thanks for listening to Get the Belt. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.